Are we doing revolution? <laughs> wow. Some of you sound like you're doing awful, really terrible. <laughs> well, Pastor Matt is doing terrible. He's, he's not doing well. He called me Wednesday and said uh, uh, he was feeling pretty sick and asked if I would prep just in case. Um, and just in case turned into um, uh, actuality. So um, please be in prayer for him as he's uh, at home you know, trying to get better. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up uh, um, our Mark series. If you're just joining us, are you visiting us uh, today for the first time? We're working our way right now as a church through the gospel according to Mark. And we're just going verse by verse trying to understand what does Mark want us to, um, to get out of this book? What does Mark want to communicate to us? And particularly, what does God want to communicate to us about his son Jesus? And that's what Mark is uh, about so we're going to be dealing with uh, two particular themes as they're related to our text, uh, the themes of, of faith and identity. And identity is really an important um, concept, right? Who a person is dictates to some degree how you relate to them. Uh, let me give you an example. When I was a freshman in college, um, I, went, uh, I went to Youngstown State University, um, go Penguins, um, which, by the way, Penguins is like the worst mascot a college could come up with, I think. Um, I was a freshman at Youngstown State. I wanted to go and participate in this, this Christian group on campus. It was a Bible study on campus. I, I went, and their, their protocol was you would go, they would sing some songs, there would be a short lesson, and then you would, uh, you would go and divide up into groups and, and then pray together. And uh, so I, I got into this group, and I'd been there one other time, so I didn't know a lot of people, and I'm in this group, and... And the, the leader said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce ourselves, and then you're going to maybe offer a prayer request, something that you would like the group to pray for. So it came to this girl on my left, and she says her name and her prayer request, and it comes to me. And I said, my name's Dave, and I guess one thing you could pray for, I said, was um, I have this difficult professor. He and I were just not getting along very well. Um, and, uh, and I said, quite honestly, I just think he's a pompous windbag who doesn't have any idea what he's doing. Um, and everybody kind of chuckled, and, and I thought, yeah, you know, Dave's funny, he's, he's cool. And um, The leader was a lot more mature than me. He said, okay, all right, we're, we'll just pray for your relationship with your professor. And we were getting ready to move on, and somebody goes, what's the professor's name? And I should have just kept my mouth closed. But I said, oh, his name is Dr. Mosier. And suddenly the whole table just got really quiet, and a couple people went, and I thought, oh, oh no, oh no, I've, I've said something. Um, and and, and it, nobody responded, it just kind of moved on. It went to the, the gal sitting to my right, and she introduced herself. My name is Sarah Mosier, <laughs> daughter of the pompous windbag, she said. <laughs> well, you can appreciate how humiliated I was, and, and we went on later to maybe laugh about it, but at that moment, I recognized if, you know, I probably shouldn't have said it anyways, but if I'd known who she was, if I'd known her identity, I definitely would not have said that, right? Knowing who somebody is uh, helps you know how to respond to them. The identity of a person determines the way you relate to them. And that's true with Jesus. Who we think Jesus is is going to dictate how we respond to him. And there are lots of ideas about who Jesus is. Right? Uh, our t-shirts say what? Jesus is my homeboy, right? Um, or uh, Johnny Cash said Jesus was the greatest cowboy who ever was, right? So who you think Jesus is is going to dictate how you relate to him. But Jesus identifies himself for us. 
And in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, which is where we're going to be, um, page 600 in your blue Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus identifies who he is. And, and here's the point that, that Mark, our author, is trying to drive home to us, the point I want to make to you tonight. Jesus can't be great if he's not God. That's the point I, I want to drive home. That's the point that really gets unpacked here in our passage. Whatever you think about Jesus, if you don't relate his identity to his divinity, you're not going to understand Jesus correctly. Jesus can't be great if he's not God. Look with me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug uh, a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. <clears throat> The context, Jesus here, is he's, he's returned sort of to his base of operations in this community in Capernaum. And as soon as people hear that Jesus is back in town, they rush to, to see him. Our people are beginning to understand something's unique about Jesus. They're beginning to see that Jesus can do some different things. And so they're, they're flooding to find Jesus. He's getting a reputation. And so, so many people show up, you, you can't get in the door, you can't even stand outside and still hear Jesus. There's so many people. And, and, and Mark is here talking about the crowds. And, and one of the interesting things about the way Mark uses crowds throughout the gospel is that routinely, crowds in Mark's gospel um, are, are those people who try to use Jesus. They try to just get stuff from Jesus. They're not so much interested in who he is, as they are interested in what he can do for them. That's kind of the way that the, the Gospels as a whole talk about crowds. We have this interesting story in the Gospel of John. Jesus gets this, he's, he's teaching this massive crowd of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. He's teaching them, and, and, uh, and he realizes it's getting late, they're going to be hungry, so he decides to feed them. But all his disciples can come up with are a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread. And so he's going he's gonna to try to feed 5,000 plus people with this, this meal. And he does. He multiplies it, feeds all these people, and, uh, and then uh, the people are full, fat, and happy, right? And uh, Jesus gets in a boat. He goes to the other side of the sea. And what happens is the people learn Jesus is going across the sea to the other side. And they run around on the bank and get to the other side and meet Jesus there. And, uh, and they get there and they say, hey, uh, hey Jesus, what are you going to do today? 
And Jesus, the author John tells us, Jesus looks at the crowd and he knows what they're after. He says, you haven't come because you believe in me. You've come because you want some bread. See, the people aren't really interested in who Jesus is. They're just interested in what Jesus can give them. And that's true of these people too. They're a consumer crowd. They want to use Jesus for their own ends, for their own means. Whether that's bread or miracles or some impressive show, they just want what Jesus can give them. They don't want Jesus. Friends, think about yourself. Think about your life. What is it about Christianity that brings you here tonight? What is it about Jesus that draws you here are you interested in what Jesus might be able to do for you? Are you interested in, in simply just getting something from Jesus? Maybe you want a better life. Maybe you want a, a better marriage. Maybe you, you want uh, to get out of the situation you are in. You want your, your life situation to change, your context to change. And you think, maybe Jesus can do that for me. And he can. He can do that for you. But if Jesus is a means to an end, and not the end itself, you are like this consumer crowd. If Jesus isn't the goal, but some step to some greater goal, you don't understand who Jesus is. If you love what Jesus can do for you, but not Jesus himself, you don't know who Jesus is. That's the consumer crowd. And we know that's their view, because the Pharisees kind of reveal what's going on. They're, they're the religious leaders in this passage, they speak sort of on behalf of the whole crowd. Mark presents this picture uh, of what's going on in the religious leader's heart as what's going on in the crowd. And so we've got the story unfolding this way. The, there's four guys who've got this paralyzed friend. They want to bring him to Jesus. They can't get in the door, so they, they go in through the roof, which is a, a whole other interesting story. And they, they lower their friend down and and Jesus, seeing this man, says, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders react really strongly to this. See, they like the idea of Jesus. They like this person who can do these miraculous things, who can, who can uh, you know, heal some lame people and some blind people and some deaf people, and, and who can maybe heal a paralytic who's been lowered in through the roof. And, and they, they like the idea of Jesus, this dynamic teacher. and They like that. But suddenly Jesus is saying something that they don't like. Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. And what he's saying is he's identifying himself as God. You see, the Pharisees, they understand only God can forgive sins. Only God can do that. Only God can take immoral people and declare them morally right. Only God can do that. And the Pharisees say, whoa, whoa, hold on. I mean, if you're going to heal a paralytic, that's cool. But now, now you're saying something different. Now they want to know, who do you think you are, Jesus? It's an issue of identity. You see, Jesus is not simply interested in being some good humanitarian. He's not simply interested in being some miracle worker. He's not simply interested in being your good teacher or some nice role model. He identifies himself as God, and he can't be great if he's not God. The consumer crowd is not interested in this kind of Jesus. 
Maybe you're not interested in this kind of Jesus either. Maybe you like the Jesus who can fix your life, who can be a good example, who can, you know, kind of help you work through some stuff. But the kind of Jesus that says he's God, that's, that's a bit much. That's a bit much. Whoa, Jesus. I mean, who do you think you are? But you see, there's a different response in the passage too. It's not just the consumer crowd. We have this other story. We have the story of four friends who've got, uh, who've got a buddy who's paralyzed. He can't move at all. And they hear Jesus is in town and they are desperate to get to Jesus. And they, they bring their friend. They've carried him probably a good distance on this mat. Four friends walking somebody on a mat. I mean, I, I know it's, it's surprising. I'm, I'm not the biggest, most muscular, strong guy in the world. That's a shock, but... Um, but the idea of carrying anybody a long distance is really, um, I think even for the strongest person, a pretty amazing feat, right? And so we've got four guys trying to carry their friend to meet Jesus. They're desperate to get there. They get there and it's packed. They can't even see Jesus. They're so far from the door. But they have this idea. Ancient home structures were built like this. It, you know, we've got this kind of arid, um, sort of uh, dry, damp, or, I mean, sort of damp sort of uh, dwelling place. It's dark. There's not a whole lot of, of airflow and light. And so a lot of people in, in these ancient homes would have stairs that led to a roof. And, and there would be sort of a, a, a sitting area, almost like a rooftop patio. And, and the roof was made of sort of uh, thatch and, and covered in mud and dried in the heat and and so it was possible to break this thing apart, but it certainly took a lot of work. And, and these four friends are so desperate to get to Jesus, they, they take their buddy on the mat up the steps, they get to the roof, and they begin digging a hole through this roof to lower their friend. Now you have to picture the scene, right? I mean, Jesus is down here teaching a full house. It's somebody's home. And all of a sudden, there are four dudes ripping the roof off of this place, Right? I mean, it's, that's got to be a pretty crazy sight. I mean, Jesus has got, you know, branches and mud falling on his head while he's teaching. Uh, the homeowner's wondering if his insurance is going to cover this, right? I mean, this is a crazy setting, right? A crazy scene. But these people are so desperate to get to Jesus that they're going to rip the roof off of this house. What are you desperate for? I don't know that there's ever been anything in my life that I was so desperate I would have ripped a roof off of somebody's house. I don't, I don't know that for most of us there's anything we're really desperate for. I mean, really. I mean, we live in kind of an apathetic culture, don't we? I mean, we're indifferent. We're fairly lazy. We, I mean, we'll support a cause if I can share it on Facebook, but if like, I've got to go out into the street and do something, well, that's a little different. I mean, if I can, you know, like, like it on Facebook and that's, like, my contribution, cool. But, you know, if i got to, like, put my shoes on and miss the Bengals game, I don't know that I'm that interested in what's going on. I'm not sure there's anything that we're that desperate for. But here are four friends who are so desperate to meet Jesus, so desperate to get their friend into his presence that they rip the roof off this place and they lower their buddy down into Jesus' lap. And the text tells us Jesus sees their faith and he recognizes there's something very different about it. 
The text says Jesus, seeing their faith, acts in, in a certain kind of way, but it's different. They are not the consumer crowd. They have not come just to get from Jesus. They understand Jesus is unique. They understand Jesus is something and someone important. And Jesus sees their faith. And then he does something strange. He looks at this paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the paralyzed man or I'm the four friends that just trekked him across the city to get to Jesus and just ripped open the roof and lowered him down... Uh, and Jesus looks at my paralyzed buddy after he's healed lame and deaf and blind, and he says, your sins are forgiven. I think I might have said, I'm sorry, what did you say? My sins? His sins are forgiven? I mean, my impulse is kind of to go, well, uh, thanks, uh, but we kind of came a long way. We did the whole roof thing. Maybe you could, like, heal him, too. Maybe he could, like, you know, do the whole my legs work now part, right? But you see, Jesus recognizes something different, too. He recognizes they know something's different about him, and he wants to show them what's different about him. He is not simply a physician. He is not simply the guy who fixes broken legs and fixes broken lives. He's the guy who deals with broken souls. That's who he is. Jesus isn't interested just in, in healing this man. He's interested in rescuing him from judgment. Jesus knows the greatest need this guy has is not to walk again, but to have his sins forgiven. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is making a very profound statement here. See, it's right. The, 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 the religious leaders are right. Only God can forgive sins. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am God. That's what he's saying. And he cannot be great if he's not God. There was a, uh, a 20th century uh, theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis, and, and, and he talked about this very idea. And, and he said, look, Jesus calls himself God. Jesus does. It's all over the Bible. Jesus says, I am God. And so that really only leaves you a couple of options. If Jesus says he's God and he isn't, then here are your choices. Either Jesus is a liar or he's crazy. That's it. I mean, if Jesus says, I'm God and he's not, and he knows he's not, but he keeps saying, I'm God, then he's a liar. And we don't usually call liars good moral examples. We don't usually call liars good people. We don't usually build our life system off of liars, right? We don't usually pat them on the head and go, oh, Jesus, you're crazy. Yeah. We, we go, no, you're a liar. You know you're, not, you know you're not God, and you keep saying it. That's a lie. Or maybe Jesus genuinely believes he's God, but he's not. I mean, he's not God. Well, then he is crazy, and he needs help. He needs to go to some mental asylum, and he needs to spend the rest of his existence there. You don't, you don't go to the asylum and ask those people for help in building your moral ethical code, right? I mean, you don't, you don't talk to people in straight jackets and ask them what you should do about your life situation, right? You don't, like, 
hold people in, you know, assi- uh, uh, insane asylums. You don't, you don't put, you know, paintings of them above your fireplace. They're crazy, right? And in fact, you would be crazy if you did that. So either Jesus, if he says he's God and he isn't, either he's a liar or he's a lunatic. But there's one other option. And that is that Jesus says he's God, and he in fact is God. That is, that Jesus is who he identifies himself as. He is Lord. Look, lots of people like Jesus. But what I want to say to you tonight is you can't like Jesus. You either love him or you reject him completely. There's no middle ground. Jesus is either Lord or he's a liar or lunatic. That's it. Those are the only options that God gives us. Jesus cannot be some nice guy that you hold up as a good moral example, and that's it. He calls himself God. And either he is or he isn't. Friends, what do you believe? How do you come to Jesus? I I can only anticipate, I can only assume that quite a majority... Quite a majority of you in here tonight have some very serious life problems going on. You got lots of things and lots of balls in the air, and you're just constantly wondering are they all going to fall down on me at the next minute? How you come to Jesus reveals what you really think about him. And if you think that Jesus is just some sort of magic genie, and if you, just, if you just rub the lamp, if you just do all the right things, he'll just give you everything you need. You don't understand who Jesus is. He's not the divine butler in the sky, and you ring your bell and he comes running. That's not who he is. He won't let you think that of him. And the truth is, if you come and you think, I can have what Jesus wants to give me, and I could you know, leave or take Jesus himself, You really don't get it. The truth is, is if if Jesus gave you all the things that you wanted, if Jesus gave you uh, good health and and good family and good marriage and good kids and good job and and helped you deal with this and helped you deal with this, and, and if he did all of that and withheld himself from you, he would hate you. Without Jesus, without Jesus, there is no relationship with God. And you can't use Jesus. You can't take what you want from him and leave him. You can't love the gifts and hate the giver. It doesn't work that way. Do you come to Jesus to use him, or do you come like these four friends, desperate to get into the presence of Jesus? Do you come realizing that you desperately need him and that he is absolutely unique that jesus alone is what you need jesus can't be great if he's not god and he can't be a help to you if you don't recognize him as lord let's pray jesus Jesus, we need you. And whether we know it now or 
whether you reveal it to us again later, help us to see it. Help us to accept it. Help us to cling to it. We need you. And help us to acknowledge that you don't leave us with any options. We can't just, we can't just respect you and think you're some swell guy. That we have to believe you are Lord. We're nothing at all. Help us to put our faith in the true Jesus. Help us to be desperate as we come to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.